Well, welcome, everyone. Good afternoon. My name is Amanda Neppel, and I'm the Discipleship Director here at Hope Des Moines. I want to welcome you here to our Good Friday service. We have been praying for you, and so we believe it is absolutely no accident that you are with us here today as we continue our Holy Week services. Uh, you should have received a postcard on your way in today um, or on your way out. You will get one, and it gives you all of the information for things that are happening this weekend here at Hope Des Moines. We have four opportunities for you to worship. We're going to kick things off again in just a little over 24 hours tomorrow afternoon um, at five o'clock with our first Easter service. Before that, we'll have kids' activities from 3.30 to 4.30. So we invite you to invite the, invite the young ones in your neighborhood and encourage them to come out and uh, have an Easter egg hunt and do some crafts and just hang out with us and have some fun Saturday afternoon. Um, today's Today, as we continue our Holy Week services, we just we put our direction, our focus on the cross today and on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so today, as we do that, you are going to hear from several different leaders here in the Des Moines community, each presenting one of the last words of Jesus uh, before his death. And so uh, we ask that this is, this is a day where we just have, we have tension, don't we? Because we, we celebrate what Jesus has done for us and we sit in awe of it, and yet uh, we just are humbled and overwhelmed by his sacrifice for us. So I encourage you to reflect on that today as you hear uh, the different leaders bring their messages. And as we leave today, we'll ask you to leave in silence out of respect and reverence for our Savior, Jesus Christ. So with that, uh, we will get started here. I'll ask you to go ahead and stand on up, and we're going to get started in worship. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. These words profoundly speak to who Jesus is and how he responds to his people. He had just been betrayed by his friend, found guilty by the people in this community in trial, tortured and beaten, and then his torture was put on public display for all the city to see, and now he's hanging on a cross, dying a public, humiliating death. Jesus had come to heal and redeem and reconcile people to God the Father. He had clearly demonstrated this throughout his ministry, and now, as a faultless, innocent man, he was being unjustly murdered. If anyone had the right to be angry that day, it was Jesus. If anyone had the right to feel bitter or seek vengeance, it was Jesus. But that's not how he responded. Instead, he responded with grace and forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is how he responded to people who were actively killing him. That blows my mind. I can't really wrap my, my mind around it because that's not what my response would be. He looked down and not only did he not respond in anger or bitterness like any of us probably would have, but he was actively advocating on behalf of the people who were murdering him, pleading with his father that he would forgive them. And they weren't sorry. They weren't asking for his forgiveness. They weren't weeping over their decisions. 
they didn't feel any remorse. They were mocking him. They were teasing him. They were gambling over his clothing like it was a game. But he offered them forgiveness when they didn't even ask for it and when they didn't even really know that they needed it. That's amazing. To forgive means to cancel a debt or to let go of feelings of resentment towards someone who's offended you or making a mistake against you. That's, if you think about what that means and you think about what that meant to Jesus, he perfectly displayed forgiveness to those people at that time. And it doesn't feel right. Everything in me says that that's not right. Everything in me says that it would be so easy to just hold on to that offense and to let bitterness burn through my veins. But that's not what he did. He showed grace and compassion and forgiveness because he has such a greater perspective than I will ever be able to have. He looked down at those people in that moment, and not only did he see them, but he actually understood them. He understood their situation. He understood what they were coming from. And he understood that they didn't really realize what was happening. They didn't fully grasp the weight of what was going on. And he didn't hold that against them. He didn't revel in that fact. He didn't rejoice and find comfort in the fact that he was right and they were wrong. And he didn't want God the Father to do that either. He was pleading on their behalf for God to pardon them. He loved them so much. He was filled with so much compassion and empathy. That amount of empathy is unfathomable to me. And that's how he responded. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the most beautiful picture of forgiveness we could ever ask for. The second word from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verses 39 to 43. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself, and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has not done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus never did a single thing that Jesus didn't want to do. And there were plenty of people who consistently, throughout his ministry, wanted him to take their agenda and wanted him to be the kind of savior that rode in on a horse swinging a sword or wanted him to be the one who lived every law perfectly the way they believed that those were supposed to be lived. But Jesus would not succumb to any other agenda other than his own. Jesus' ministry was in so many ways about demonstrating who he was through his power over the forces that threaten us the people that he loves here on earth. Jesus did so many miracles that, that demonstrated his power, he demonstrated his power over uh, the demonic and the dark forces. Every time he healed someone of a spirit, he demonstrated his power over those evil forces. We read when Jesus calmed the storm, Jesus calmed the powers of nature that threatened the, 
people that he loves so much. And we see when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, when Jesus raises Peter's mother-in-law, that he's even defeating the forces of death themselves before Jesus even gets to the cross. And here is Jesus this day on the cross with these two men on either side. These two men on either side who so perfectly represent the way the world responds to Jesus. There are people today who are mocking us for worshiping our Savior. There are people today who don't understand why we would gather together on a Friday and celebrate our Savior being nailed to a cross. There are people who can't fathom that and not only can't fathom that, but react violently to that. And Jesus knew that, knows it now and knew it then, that there would be people who would react to him in that way. And yet, Jesus will not be deterred by anyone's agenda. Honestly, not even by the agenda of the man on the other side of him who, who acknowledged who Jesus was, who acknowledged Jesus' power. We can find so much in those words when Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Because if Jesus said it, then it was part of Jesus' intention the entire time. It was part of Jesus' nature and Jesus' character to welcome all of those who repent and acknowledge him as the Son of God into the kingdom of heaven. So when we see Jesus on the cross here in Luke and we see him being held up there in terrible pain that we can't comprehend, you've probably heard it said that it wasn't nails that held Jesus there, that it was his love that held him there. The truth of the matter is it was who Jesus was that held him there and Jesus' perfect, complete character to put himself there for you and for me. And we can respond. And there are those who respond in a way that we don't understand, but Jesus won't. He, his, his agenda will not be manipulated by anyone. And so when Jesus says, I tell you truly, today you will be with me in paradise, those are words that we can keep in our heart. And even as we listen to the next words that will be read and hear more of how Jesus suffered in his anguish, we can know that Jesus' purpose was being fulfilled for each and every one of us that day on the cross. Our third word is from John 19, verses 25 through 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple who he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. What is the greatest suffering you have walked through in your life? If I'm sure if you and I got to sit down over coffee and I got to hear your story, there would be stories of pain and there would be stories of heartache. And yet, each of those stories would be different. And there would be also a common thread for each of those stories of suffering and of pain. And yet, there would also be an understanding of who you are and of who God is. Maybe you've walked through your valley and your hard times some time ago. Maybe you're in the midst of it right now. These places are deeply soulful. These tend to be places that bring to the surface things that are truly in our hearts. They tend to bring out the best in us, and they also tend to bring out the worst in us. 
It's hard for me to get my mind around the fact that Jesus was fully God and he was fully human. That he lived a sinless life, yet he was sent to die on the cross for you and for me. Christ's greatest suffering came for him as he went to the cross for us. We know that it was a horrible death, one of great pain and torment. And what strikes me about the verses that I just read is that when Jesus was on the cross, this time of his greatest suffering, he was concerned about those he loved. It's a time that could have easily been about him as he hung there dying, but instead he looked out and he saw his mother and his dearly loved friends, and he saw their needs. In his humanness, he saw what he was leaving behind, these dearly loved people, and like so many times that we heard about in the scriptures, Jesus' compassion is evidenced in the words that he spoke. To his mother, he says, woman, here is your son. To John, he says, here is your mother. If you've ever sat with, a, with someone on their deathbed, you know that the words that they speak during this time are important to them. You hear about the things that they love, and you hear about the things that matter. A little over a year ago, I sat with a dear friend and mentor in the last weeks of a long, after a long battle of cancer. There was one day where we had a rare moment where it was just the two of us in her hospital room. Conversations can be a little awkward at times like that, but my friend was not someone who was really known for beating around the bush. So as was typical of our conversations, we talked about her daughters and her granddaughter, and that day was no different. Um, but the conversation took on a little bit different tone as we talked that day. She thanked me for the relationship I had with one of her daughters, and she continue, continued to say that she wanted to, me to keep up that relationship even after she was gone. The words that my friend shared were words of a mother who loved her daughter and wanted to make sure that she had people in her life that would keep looking out for her daughter. Um, and caring for her after she was gone. I see Jesus' words being filled with that same love and compassion. Though he was fully God, he was also fully human. His heart ached for those he was leaving behind. These, to, to speak these words to his mother and his dearly loved friend was to speak of the deep love that he had for them. Jesus loved well in this life, and he loved well in his death. The fourth word from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verses 33 and 34. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then, at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I don't know about you, but speaking for myself, those particular words of Jesus are incredibly hard to hear. All of the words that we've heard today have the power to bring us to our knees, but I think when we hear Jesus cry out in his hour of deepest need, having been abandoned by the Father, I think that that understanding has the ability to stay with us and haunt us just a little bit. 
because I think that one thing that those words do is they make Jesus' suffering and his humiliation very real to us. We cannot, after hearing those words, believe or imagine in some way that maybe Jesus didn't suffer the way a, a normal person would suffer. When we hear about Jesus being abandoned by the Father, we understand that not only did Jesus feel an excruciating physical pain, but he had a pain in the anguish of his soul of being abandoned by his Father. The Bible tells us that it was quiet from noon to three while Jesus was there on the cross. And at some point during that quietness, Jesus felt the Father leave him. Jesus, who was so in touch with his mission and so in touch with who he was and so in touch with the Father. He was so in touch with those around him that even uh, just a few chapters earlier in chapter 5, when the crowd was crushing in around him and Jesus felt this woman who had dared to have the audacity to reach out and touch his robe. And Jesus knew, despite all of the people around him, he knew the moment when power had left him. And Jesus, whenever he interacted with someone, he knew what they were really up to. Like in Mark chapter 11, when the rich young man came to him wanting to know how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus cut right through all of the debris because Jesus saw what was in this man's heart. And he had placed his treasure and his possessions and his riches. And Jesus called him on that because Jesus was so in touch with each and every one of the people who he interacted with. Jesus, our Savior, the Son of God, the light of the world, experienced in that moment the anguish of knowing that the Father had abandoned him. Jesus experienced what so often we believe we are experiencing when we're going through suffering as well. We so often believe that when our hearts are broken that God has left us, that God has ditched us so that we will deal with all of this on our own and God will catch back up to us when things are going better again. We so often default to that. Psalm 22, in fact, is a lament psalm that was written by King David. King David was a direct ancestor of Jesus, and King David was a man who loved God and enjoyed deep community with God, but also knew despair, and he knew suffering. And he wrote Psalm 22, and verse 1 is going to sound very familiar to us. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And Jesus would have grown up hearing people use that psalm to lament their heartache. He would have grown up with the adults around him calling on those words when they experienced anguish, when they felt that God had abandoned them. And so Jesus knew intimately that people would call out and use those words looking for some relief, for some clarity, expecting God to show up and offer hope. When Jesus cries out to God, we are brought face to face with his humanity and his anguish in that moment. And it is so tempting for me to want to give you some neat and tidy definition, some deep theological concept for why Jesus had to be abandoned. But the truth of the matter is that this side of heaven, I don't believe we are ever going to understand why it had to be that way. I don't think we're ever going to understand why it is that one who was perfect, that he who had no sin became sin so that those of us who are steeped in it could be called righteous. I don't think we're ever going to get that answer. 
But even as we sit in that tension and even as we hold on to that tension, the truth is there is even hope in this horrific scene that we see on the cross. Because the one who we call out to intimately is aware of what that isolation and desperation feels like. And in some beautiful mystery, we realize that the one who has promised never to forsake us, who never will forsake us, by submitting to the will of the Father, has made that possible by being forsaken. The fifth word is in John 19, 28 and 29. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished, and to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it to his lips. Now that we come to the fifth word, you can, uh, we can overemphasize the importance of the last words. You have heard this pretty much after every one of us that has come up. And uh, one of them is taking care of his mother, uh, having intimate conversation with his father, and also even saving somebody next to him, giving them eternal life. But then we come to this word that I am thirsty. And I don't know about you, but for me, at the, my first reaction is like, I am thirsty. What does that have to do with the most powerful event of the history of Christianity? But thankfully, we have the Old Testament, the whole scripture that you can interwine stories from the Old Testament with the New. So... I asked myself why, and I think one of the main reasons that God wanted to do this, the author of this word, is to give us um, a platform, a, a, a strong foundation for our faith. Because if we see through the Old Testament, imagine, I remember in Exodus, what we celebrate today is the Passover, right? And what you remember is that, there was, that, that the people from Israel had to put blood in the, door, in the doors, and that lamb had to be a perfect lamb, Correct? Also in Psalm 69, 21, we see David again talking intimately with, with God. And he almost quotes the feelings that Jesus might, might be feeling at this time when he's in the cross. So all these stories uh, of salvation, Noah's Ark, they all are stories that point to Jesus. And that is so cool to see everything, taking a step back and everything, see, see everything as a whole. And this is what we have in this, in this word about him being thirsty, fulfilling prophecy. Not only that specifically uh, David wrote about it hundreds of years before this happened, but most importantly that he was human, that he was fully, fully human. Because there after being beaten, kicked, slashed, spit on, we know that he was feeling the most basic human need. Because doctors will tell you that you can go without food for days, you can go without shelter, you can go with hug, without hugs or whatever, but without water, there's very limited days that you can not survive. So I think it, it, this is the way that, that God was saying, Jesus can relate to us. It had to be a perfect sacrifice, Jesus having no sin, but also somebody that can relate to us, somebody like us that could, that could feel all these feelings. 
Secondly, um, so those are the two things, the, to fulfill prophecy and to let us know that he was fully human. Another interesting thing that I've seen in, that, I, that we see here is why do we have that sour wine and that hyssop? I cannot pronounce it right, so forgive me. But that, that, that was used in the Old Testament to cleanse. And here, sometimes we see stories that interwine stories to, to tell us a deeper meaning. And that meaning is how Jesus cleansed us. So as you ponder, as you think about the fifth word of I am thirsty, I hope you remember that Jesus in the cross with parched lips, with feeling every, every bone in his body, empty stomach, he felt pain, deep pain. And we know that we can trust a perfect sacrifice for you and for me. The sixth word is from the Gospel of John, in the 19th chapter, verse 30. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus' life was over. It was finished. The days of him proclaiming the kingdom had come to an end. Of healing the sick of feeding the multitudes as they sat on the hillside, or those intimate times that he had with his disciples, sharing with them. They were over. The wedding where he turned water into wine would never happen again. He wouldn't calm the seas. His time was over. But that's not what Jesus meant when he said, it is finished. For some, they thought this leader was the end to the Roman oppression that they were experiencing. And their hopes were dashed as their leader hung on that cross and whispered, it is finished. To be sure, Jesus' suffering was ending. His physical body was dying. No more pain in his hands and his feet or from the spear in his side. No more shame and humiliation and betrayal did he feel. But you know, that's not what he meant either when he said, It is finished. No, what he meant was that I have completed the will of my Father. I have been obedient from the day in the manger until this time on the cross. I have fulfilled the purpose that God the Father sent me to do. And through his obedience, sin and death has been destroyed in our lives. The power of Satan has been destroyed. He has been condemned, finished. 
No more does he have a say in our eternity. It is finished. At precisely the time he said those words and gave up his spirit, the world would never be the same. Everything changed. And even those words that were given 2,000 years ago are still as relevant for us today. And for those of us who by grace through faith receive Jesus Christ, the power of sin and death is gone. Those things that cause so much heartache in our life today on this side of heaven will no more be remembered. The wrath of God that we so justly deserve for our own wretchedness has been fully paid for. No longer to be held against us, we are forever made clean when Jesus said those final three words, it is finished. Seventh and final word. By this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. As Jesus nears his final breath, we read that a darkness settled over the land and that the light in the middle of the afternoon was almost gone. A moment in history when it seems like Time itself stands still, and the darkness seems so real. This is the same Jesus that not too long ago stood in front of an entire festival, in front of the crowds of thousands of people, and proclaimed confidently, I am the light of the world, now stands hung on a cross, surrounded by darkness, on every side. Stories like this, we want to rush to the end of the story. We want to get to Sunday and pretend that it was all just a dream. But we know that the darkness is real. You can read the newspaper, you can watch the evening news, or you can look inside your own heart. There is a deadly disease that every single one of us has called sin and death, and there is no cure until right now, until today. But this, this innocent man hanging on a cross, this is our victory, this is the cure, this is the solution. How much darker could it get? We want to rush to the end of the story and looking ahead Yes, we know that there is hope, but I want to invite you to just stay here for a moment. See, any story gains its power 
by the depth and the gravity of what had to be overcome. Without Friday, there is no Sunday. Without his pain, there is no healing. Without his death, there is no life for us. And without the cross, there is an eternal separation from our Father. Space between us that never should have existed, but it does. When we read that Jesus breathed his last, the veil, the curtain, in the temple was torn in two. This is the veil that for centuries had blocked the entrance to the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place for God's people where they believed that God's presence was the thickest, was the weightiest, where you could experience the most intimacy with God. The place closest to his presence only for those select few priests, those who were worthy enough to enter in across the space between. This was no accident that this happened when Jesus died and the veil is not just some empty religious symbol. The veil was a profound picture of an even greater separation between you and I and our creator between us and the God that we ran and continue to run away from. A space between us. Several years ago, I saw a film with my wife where the plot somewhat revolved around a mother and her relationship with her daughter. And a mother experiences the pain of watching her child rebel her daughter rebel and grow distant from her mother and essentially in an, a, an emotionally charged scene. They're walking together down the road when the daughter stops and looks at the one who gave her life and yells, stay away, I need my space. And now there is a distance between them, between this relationship to which the mother looks at the distance both physically and relationally between them and with passionate tears in her eyes, chooses instead to turn around and pursue her child, rejecting the reality that separation is acceptable and in a moment of unquestionable love, walks back to her daughter and with tears in her eyes, proclaims no space between us. No space between us. On Good Friday, with his arms stretched out wide, Jesus hung on the cross with the entire brokenness of humanity, the entire weight of the world's sin and your sin and my sin upon him, all to say once and for all, with tears in his eyes as he looks at you today. No space between us. Today or ever. No space between us. There is no sin, no death, no guilt, no shame, no failure, no mistakes that you could make. Nothing from your past, nothing today, and nothing in the future. Jesus says, I have crossed 
the divide. I have ripped down the curtain, the veil that once separated you from experiencing the fullness of my presence is now forever gone. So in your moments of doubt, wondering if you are good enough, when you mess it all up and you wonder if you've messed up too bad this time, in those moments of doubt where you watch the evening news or you read your feed and you wonder, where is God in the midst of all of this pain and suffering and darkness? You can look at the cross and remember that he is right there in the middle of it. There is no space between God and the world that he loves, between you and your Savior today. He came close so that you could be close to him. And it cost his life. Today, may we cling to the old rugged cross, knowing that it is it's all we've got. It's our only hope. And as the veil goes up and separates us, Remember the price that was paid to tear it down. Behold your Savior today and watch with his final breath the sun show once and for all how deep the Father's love for us, for you.